Well, good morning again. That was worship. I mean, if worship is seeing God's reverence, his greatness, his goodness, and responding to his revelation, which is his message, responding with all that we are, then, then what the kids did this morning, and, and even just that song that, that we heard, that is part of what worship is. Now I'm going to, what might seem like a completely different direction, we just got to take an opportunity right now, because as, uh, as a Vikings fan, this just doesn't happen very often, okay? So we got to take it when we can get it. The, the Vikings last week, overtime, game-winning, 87-yard run. I mean, that just doesn't happen. But it did. Not only did it happen, then it was just great watching the highlight reels all weekend, ESPN, the rest of Saturday afternoon, or Sunday afternoon, and the rest of Sunday night. And then, of course, it came to, you know, the sports shows. So they're like, we're going to break this down for you, and you're going to want to see this. And so I had to wait through 25 minutes of other highlights before I could finally see my highlight. And then there it was. They're like, okay, it all starts with Teddy Bridgewater seeing, you know, the defense move into the blitz formation, and he sees an opportunity. Well, in a very similar way, just like that game-winning overtime 87-yard touchdown run, the shepherds of the Christmas story had a game-winning, amazing, all-time greatest worship under heaven play. And like that, we're going to break down what they did and learn how we can become the greatest worshipers under heaven. You know, the shepherds replaced the angels. The angels came and sang and praised God, and they glorified him. And then the shepherds leave the story, and they're doing the same thing. So I think if we look at this story in Luke 2, we will see what we need to do so that we can respond with all that we are. If that's what worship is, responding with all that we are, then what does it mean to give all that we are? There are four aspects of the story and four aspects of what it means to respond with all that we are that I want to take a look at in Luke 2. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. And just if you're sitting here going, "Mm, you know, you haven't really convinced me. I appreciate the sports analogy, but I'm still wondering why I have to be an amazing worshiper, why I can't just be an okay worshiper. Well, I want Christmas and I want the worship that I experience to do what it did in this story to turn fear into joy, to turn the absence of conflict into actual peace. Not just to be good news, but to be great news for everyone. See, if we worship with all that we are, it will actually change us. Anything less? It won't. So in Luke chapter 2, we see the shepherds break into the story. It says there were angel or there were shepherds living nearby out in the field keeping guard over their flock that night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, "Don't be afraid. Listen carefully. I proclaim to you good news that will be great joy for all the people." Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ, the Lord, the Anointed One. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a vast heavenly army of angels appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left him, they went back to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, that the Lord has told us about, or that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off, and they located Mary and Joseph, and they found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related all what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these things, all these words, pondering them in her heart as to what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, though, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. God, we come to not just hear some songs and be uh, enjoy the worship of children, but we, God, we come, God, to hear your word, to not only hear your word, but be changed by your word. So we pray that we would respond with all that we are. Teach us by your word what it means to be great worshipers. Amen. Well, the first thing that I see in this story that the shepherds did is they responded spiritually. In that time, life was hard. The shepherds literally lived out in the elements. They were completely, pretty much homeless. They faced the daily challenges of finding food for their food and water for their sheep. They faced the challenge of finding food and cooking food for themselves. But in addition to that, they faced the work of chasing after lost sheep and staying awake and on the lookout for wolves or bandits or other predators that they might see each day and each night. Now, you didn't need to be a shepherd to see the obvious difficulties that were part of their culture. I mean, taxes were high, unemployment was high, morale and and morals were slipping lower and lower, and the state they lived in was basically military-ruled by an enemy occupant. And and sure, they'd heard the stories. Even the most faithful of God's people had, had failed to see God at work at this moment, though. These shepherds had heard the stories of God's glory filling the tabernacle in the wilderness, and they'd heard the stories of of God's glory filling the temple that they used to have in the promised land, but ever since their exile, they have lived under an enemy occupation. And their God has been silent for 400 years. Worship starts with seeing God in our world. It's changing the way we see. Changing the way we see God and changing the way we see the world. And that's what the shepherds were able to do in the midst of these challenges. When this moment of revelation comes, when the angel comes, they engage with God's spirit. If we want to become great worshipers, then I would say the thing we need, the first thing we need is God's spirit. Now, think about what you face in your life because we're not, I mean, most of us are shepherds. But just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard someone tell me that their, that their relative, their close relative, is diagnosed with cancer. Another person who says, my husband feels trapped in his job and I see him slowly slipping into depressive and dark thoughts. Another woman gets obviously overlooked for a promotion because she's too something. I don't know if it's too young or too old. 
if it's too attractive or too unattractive, or too qualified or just too woman. But anytime we face these difficulties and, and these things that would seem like injustices, they can cause us to believe that God isn't around, or that God is silent, or that maybe God is weak, or he just doesn't care, or even that God is dead. After 400 years, even the most faithful fail to see, but not the shepherds. It's not to say the things that we face in life aren't hard. It's to say, do we need God's spirit in order to worship? And I would say, we absolutely need God's spirit to worship. We need to see Jesus in our world, even when it's hard. And we may not see armies of angels, but we can look carefully and we can listen hard. We can see and ask God, where are you, God, in my world? Where are you in your people? And where are you in your word? It means facing and engaging with our fears. It means continuing to be open to good news that can bring great joy. So how do you engage with God's spirit? Certainly coming to a worship service is a great place to start. I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock that. And certainly prayer alone and prayer with others also is a way that we engage in God's spirit. But specifically, do you ask for God to reveal himself to you? There are so many mornings where I'm like, okay, God, yay, good morning, Lord. And there are other ones that's like, oh, good Lord, it's morning. And it takes me about two hours before I'm like, oh, I didn't even invite God into my day. Even though he's around, I, I didn't really ask him to reveal himself to me. That little prayer can change our worship in huge ways. We have to look for him. We have to ask him to speak to us. And then we have to be open to hear where to go and how to live. Being great worshipers has nothing to do with what kinds of music we listen to or we sing. It has nothing to do with, with any of those externals. It's really about shifting our posture, our body, our ears, and our eyes. The psalmist that we read this morning enter, says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we can approach God's throne of grace with boldness. One of my favorites, Jesus even tells us that when we worship, we shouldn't be looking around, finding someone else that we're better than, and then comparing ourselves, but we should bend down, look up, and praise God that he loves us as sinners. And we're to praise him no matter what the circumstance. But that's only one aspect of great worship. We need God's spirit to do that. But the second thing we see that the shepherds do is they respond communally. This one is super easy to look over because it says, and the shepherds were watching their flock nearby. Then it says, and the angel said to them, and then they, they said, let's go and see. And they hurried off. And they found, and they saw, and they told, and they praised. It's this communal activity. Even the angel of God doesn't come alone. After he makes his announcement, the writer of this 
book of Matthew tells us that a vast army of angels appears and sings this chorus. God is communal, Father, Son, and Spirit. If we want to be great worshipers and the greatest worshipers under heaven, then we need community. Now, how many of you have heard someone say this? You know, I'm, I'm pretty spiritual, but I'm not very into organized religion. Or people that are very likely to embrace our postmodern, post-Christian culture, they say, I really, really want spiritual experiences. But I'd really like to kind of customize that. Have it be in my preferences with, according to my personality and, if possible, even my schedule. And they might ask, you know, why, why church? Or why is a church or a small group of Christ-centered people, like, why is that really necessary for me to be a great worshiper? Fair enough. But I would answer with a quote from C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. If you're a C.S. Lewis person, you know he's a writer. He wrote The Great Divorce. He wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote The Four Loves. He also wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, um, which are not just children's books. And... And he sat around in England and, and was a professor at the same time. He, along with one of uh, uh, an acquaintance that came to be a friend, that came to be a close friend, was a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. And if you're a Hobbit movie fan, then you can thank J.R.R. Tolkien because he wrote The Hobbit, he wrote The Lord of the Rings. Anyway, so C.S. Lewis goes by Jack to his friends. I'm not sure why. J.R.R. Tolkien goes by Ronald to his friends. I can kind of figure that one out. But as they start meeting weekly to talk about their writing, but not just their writing, they talk about their teaching, they start talking politics, they start talking life. At week after week, they start saying, hey, do you think there's anyone else that would like to be, you know, that would like to join us. And, and so they invite this guy named Charles Williams, who's also a writer. They invite this other guy named Owen Barfield that's a writer. And pretty soon, this little group that they start calling the Inklings, um, they start meeting weekly, and 19 writers show up in community at one time or another. They insist it's not a club, like they're going to accept or deny someone. They just continue to gather to meet and share not only their work, but also who they are. And Jack, Ronald, and Charles were perhaps the closest until Charles unexpectedly dies. And Lewis reflects on this moment in the book, and, and he thinks at a moment, like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to spend more time with Ronald because I won't have to share him. But he says this, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a joke that only Charles could tell. I thought I might have more of Charles since I wouldn't be sharing, or I thought I might have more of Ronald since I wouldn't be sharing him, but far from having more of Ronald now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. I myself am not large enough to bring a whole person to activity or to be themselves. I want other lights other than my own to show all his facets. A little wordy, but I think what it's saying to me, what I think what Lewis is saying is that it takes a community of friends to really know a friend. 
Well, if this is true of, of people, how much more true of it would be of God? Can any of us really claim to know Jesus the best all by ourselves? No, I think our personalities and our biases would completely get in the way. We need community. We need a worshiping community if we're going to become the greatest worshipers under heaven. If we're not in a worshiping community, we can't really know all the facets of God. Preferably, we need a larger group to worship together corporately with, and we need a smaller group to pray and worship together with. And the more diverse that community is, the more we're able to accurately see God because the less our biases and our personalities and and the way that we would probably read a scripture that may not be the way that it was intended to read, the more that will come out. But not only that, this community will help me and you see our imperfections, our selfishness, and our sin. Because it's hard to love people. And a worshiping community but will not only bring it out, the best thing is it'll also heal us. It'll heal the way we think psychologically. It'll heal that isolation and that individualism individually. And it'll heal those relationships. So we need God's spirit, and we need a community, but we need two more parts to be amazing worshipers. As the, as the passage continues, I see the shepherd intellectually. I mean, it starts in the middle of this kind of verse 11. Today, in the town of David, today, your Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in strips of cloth. They went, and they said to each other, important piece, they said to one another, let's go and see this thing that has taken place, that the Lord has revealed to us. These shepherds, they they responded intellectually, but they did so by personally discovering the truth. If we want to be great worshipers, we need truth in order to do that. I mean, think about it. Why would the shepherds be willing to leave their familiar surroundings and leave their acceptable vocations and they risk rejection? They risk shame? And they risk the unknown. Shepherds were not qualified to come into the temple because they were considered unclean because of the work that they did. They also were not even allowed to testify in court. A witness of a shepherd could not be trusted. And they go into town. During a time of census, when this little village of Bethlehem was looking like a metropolis, how could they do that? Unless they saw, unless they heard, unless they um, told and made known. These are all the different verbs that are in, in this little passage right here. And they all give us this sense of engagement, perceiving, making known, intellectually processing, having the process of discovery, deciding and choosing and discerning the truth. And they individually had to do that. Let's, they said to one another, let's go and see. 
each of those shepherds had to individually decide if they were going to go and do this. The shepherds then would have had to recall what they knew about Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The only way they could recall what they knew is if they'd read the stories, if they'd heard the stories. And not only that, they would have had to not just hear those things, they would have had to accept what the ancient prophets had said about the Messiah. But see, I don't know about your conversations, but when I have conversations about truth with people, they're not super excited about submitting to a body of truth. Especially the Bible as truth. A lot of times people will agree that they need a spiritual community and they'll agree that they need a spiritual experience. But when I start talking about accepting the Bible as truth, they're like, whoa, like I can read the New Testament parts of the Bible, but the Old Testament parts of the Bible, like that's weird. Like that whole, you know, taking a, a little baby sheep and boiling it in its mother's milk. What's up with that? I just, mm not going to do that. And the whole killing thing and this, not. Or maybe they'll say, I'll accept the God of the New Testament because he's loving, but the God of the Old Testament, he's mean. Or uh, one I'm hearing more often, not exactly like this, but pretty much like this, is, well, I really like the teachings of Jesus, but, you know, I like the inclusion of the Baha'i faith, and I like the commitment of the Buddhist faith. I'm just going to kind of customize that one and design it. And, and I'm not here to tell you what to do like you listen, but I am here to communicate God's message in a way that we can understand and respond. That's what God has put me here to do. And, and so I would just suggest that when we pick and choose what we would accept as truth from the Bible, we're designing our own God. And we can never have a relationship with a God we design because he's not real. It's sort of like sticking a cardboard cutout of our, a famous person that we'd really like to get to know and say, oh yeah, I have a relationship with that person. You can't have a relationship with a cardboard cutout, at least not an authentic one. You can't really have a spiritual experience with a cardboard cutout. And I would say that, that you can't have true worshiping community with the God you designed, because you've, you've just created your own version of God. When we create our own version of God, we've essentially isolated ourselves. Because that God is like no one else's. And if I reject the parts of the Bible I don't like, then I can't unite myself with another person who calls themselves a Christian, who believes in the God of the Bible, because we're actually believing in two different gods. But on the other hand, if I do submit myself to the Bible as truth, then I can actually go across the world and if I find another Christ follower, no matter how different than they are for me, I can actually have community with them because we will be worshiping the same God. Friends, I've seen this. It's amazing. I don't even know how to speak the language, and I've united with people on the other side of the world because we're talking about the same Jesus. We need truth to be amazing worshipers. Last thing that I see in the passage is that the shepherds respond missionally. They, they share God's great news to anyone, anywhere, anytime that God puts in front of them. 
after they see Jesus, the baby, they related what they had said. That says they spread the word about him to all who heard it were astonished. To the people who couldn't come to temple and practice their religion, to the people that would not be able to testify in court, these people were able to spread the word about this great news. And people were astonished. They went back glorifying and praising God. Lastly, if we want to become the greatest worshipers under heaven, we need to share God's great news. Now, I probably know what you're thinking because I've thought it too. Well, wait, wait, wait. Like, that sounds like evangelism if you've been around church. Or that just sounds weird if you haven't. So here are the most common things that I could think of that, that we would probably say, ah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the great news is, so I can't, I can't share it. Well, the great news is that God didn't send a soldier to fight for us, and he didn't send a judge to govern or rule over us, and he didn't send a, a reformer to just make a little few changes in our society. He sent a savior to meet us at our greatest need. Because on our own, we could never, ever get ourselves in a right relationship with this God of the universe. And Jesus does that. He restores our relationship with God by taking away our sin. That's the great news. That's it. That's a lot. Now, you might say, I, I don't know how to share that. Well, it says, today, your Savior is born. And, and he is a great joy for all people. So if he's your savior, then you could just tell the person how he saved you. Maybe he saved you from death, literally. Maybe he saved you from sin. Maybe he saved you from a life of self-focus or self-consumption or, or just selfishness. Not only that, though, he's brought you into his kingdom. He's made you his child forever, and he's given peace to your soul. You can just share that. Now, you might say, I'm, I'm scared to share my faith. Well, it's good news. That will bring great joy to everybody. So if shepherds weren't considered qualified to speak in court— and people were astonished, then we're probably okay. A little bit of a simple argument, but, but furthermore, we live in a country, at least at the moment, where we can share and talk about Jesus freely, and we don't have to worry about being persecuted or put in jail or killed. And finally, the shepherds go back glorifying and praising God. And so sharing our faith will actually give us confidence in our relationship with God. If you don't have confidence in your relationship with God, then rather than keep you from sharing, I would say start sharing. It'll give you confidence. Now, you might just say, well, I don't really like to share my faith. I think it's weird. Well, not only will it give, it co give you confidence in your faith, it'll actually increase your faith to share it. By, meaning, by talking about your faith, you'll actually be bringing more of Jesus into this part of your life, and this part of your life, into this part of your life, the other parts of your life, your work, your hobbies, your friendships. You'll bring Jesus to those places. Sharing your faith will remind you of the most important part of your faith. 
that Jesus is your Savior. He's our Savior. He died for us so that we might live for him. I mean, Lisa shared when we started today, we love him because he first loved us. In fact, he shares his most perfect gift with us first. Why wouldn't we want to share that thing that he's given us? Now, we need all four, but, you know, sometimes people are like, whoa, 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 I I can't do four. We need God's spirit. We need community. We need truth. And we need to share God's great news. And if you're kind of overwhelmed with that list, then I would just say, you know what? God loves you. He loves you right where you're at, no matter what you're doing. But he doesn't want you to just stay stuck there. So ask his Holy Spirit, God, where? Which aspect would you like me to focus on? So that I can respond to you with all that I am. I want to worship. I don't just want to like do okay worship that keeps me afraid in life. I want to have full-on worship that responds with all that I am, that turns my fear into joy, that brings me peace, that changes me. So ask him. And then Christmas is just 11 days away, which you're all invited to, by the way. Ask him for the next 11 days. What does it look like to respond with all that I am? God, I want to see you. I want to see where you're revealing your truth and your spirit and your community and those opportunities to share. And I'll respond by engaging with every part of myself. That's what I encourage you with. That's what I challenge you to. And we will become the greatest worshipers under heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you that you came to us first. That you sent your spirit and you revealed yourself to us. God, that you brought us the truth of of your past acts, of your present concern. God, even of your son coming. And he came as truth. God, you brought yourself to us fully in in your prophets and in your people and in your spirit and your son. And, And we need that community And God, we need to share, not out of an obligation or a drudgery, but because it's the greatest news in the world. Because we need to be people who have our joys turned into fear. We need to be people who are changed. We need to be people who find peace. We need to be people who are amazed ourselves. But God, the world needs amazing worship because they need you. Show us where we need to respond to you. Where we need to say yes to you. Maybe it's simply saying, I never knew he could be my savior no matter what I've done. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for showing us that Christmas is so much more than we've made it. Help us to respond to you with all that we are. Amen.